Hello, 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 and welcome to episode eight of On Your Way Out. I'm your host, Evan Marlowe. Thank you so much for stopping by. And uh, today is a special day. I'm actually coming to you live uh, one day early. Um, normally, this this podcast premieres on Monday mornings, but we came out on a Sunday because it is Mother's Day. And so what better way to celebrate Mother's Day than to interview my own mother, Mary Marlowe. So she joined me on the podcast. Uh, we recorded this, I believe, the, a week prior or so to Mother's Day. Uh, so we do mention, I think, uh, it being late April, just so we're, we're all on the same page here. Um, but yeah, I just... Um, I, I had a really great conversation. I had to, a chance to ask my mom some questions that I probably wouldn't have asked her otherwise, and I learned a lot. It was really, really cool. So um, I hope everyone has been holding up really well with the uh, pandemic quarantines. Um, things are developing rapidly, and I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. And uh, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my mom, Mary Marlowe. Well, hi, Mom. Hi, Evan. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Excellent. Um, so I I just wanted to kind of prep the listeners a little bit that um, I know the answer to most of these questions <laughs> that I'm going to ask my mom uh, today, but a lot of times you don't know the answers, and sometimes these actual, some of these questions I think I drew up are going to be giving me answers that I don't know, so... Um, but uh, just so everyone knows, too, we are in the middle of coronavirus pandemic lockdown. Um, Mom, how are you faring? Um, we're doing okay. Um, Dad and I were talking about this this morning. And for us, um, you know, being Dad being totally retired and me being kind of semi-retired, we're sort of used to being home a lot together. Um and we still like each other pretty much. So <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So <laughs> so we're we're doing okay. Um I thank God. And we talked about that this morning when we were sitting having some coffee that for technology, because um we are missing everybody terribly. Um and uh in the middle of all of this, uh for the listeners, um Evan's grandmother passed away on Tuesday evening. Um, yeah. So as a family, we're navigating that right now and trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, she's up in, she lived up in Iron River, Michigan, and Michigan is under even tighter restrictions than we are regarding all of that. So um, I just thank God for technology because we've been able to have um, Zoom meetings and, um, you know, emailing back and forth. We're flipping pictures back and forth to try to um, write her obituary and all those kind of things. So as much as it's difficult, um, I'm thankful that we at least have technology right now. And we miss our grand our kids and our grandkids terribly, um, but we're doing some things to try to mitigate that. Um, we do a Google Hangout or a Zoom meeting on Sundays, and mm-hmm. we've started with... Um, with Evan's older brother, Justin, and his wife and his little girl, we do a Friday night Monopoly game, um, virtually, (laughs) virtual Monopoly. 
Um, our goal this week is to beat grandpa's ass because he keeps winning. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're making the best of it. Um, and I don't know, there's a part of it that helps you to, a good thing I think that's going to come out of it is um, it sort of refocuses you on what's really important. Um, and that's more apparent now than ever. So, so we're doing okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's been, it's been hard. Uh, Emmett, Emmett wants to see his grandparents and we've had to do a couple meetings from like the, the stoop <laughs> <laughs> and say hi from the stoop. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. You know, we're at least able to do that. That's nice. Um, but yeah, so just so everyone knows too, I'm, I'm not going to pull punches with my mom. My mom is getting the full interview treatment, even though it's my mom and, and mother's day <laughs> is here. So happy mother's day, mom. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> I can take it too. <laughs> I am not pulling punches. She's getting the, the regular interview that I would normally give everybody. So, um, so let's talk about what is your earliest memory that you can think of when you think back in your brain? The earliest memory. I don't think I know this. Well, this will seem really weird, but um, I grew up in a family. Um, my mother's family were immigrants from Italy, and my father's uh, family were immigrants from uh, from England. And so we we lived in a neighborhood. My dad was a miner um, up in Iron River, an iron miner. And in our neighborhood, um, it basically was extended family. Um, I grew up in the house that my dad was literally born in and died in. Um, and my mother's family, she came from a, a family of nine. Um, and my grandparents lived at the end of the street that we lived on. And most of the other houses, with the exception of a couple neighbors, were... Um, my aunts and uncles and my cousins. So it was kind of like a family neighborhood. Um, but one of the earliest things I remember, my grandfather had already passed before I was born. And my grandmother, we, we all took care of her. All of the family members that lived in that neighborhood, um, we cleaned for her and we did her yard work and, you know, we brought her meals and we had her over for dinners and so forth. But, um, she could not speak English very well. Um, and one of my earliest memories, and don't ask why this stuck in my brain, but I probably was about three. And I remember being just tall enough to have my eyes see the tabletop. Um, and I always thought it was odd that my grandmother spoke this other language. Um, but she was also very poor. And I remember my mother had gone to the grocery store for her and gotten some things and they were having um, a little bit of an argument as they passed a dollar back and forth, back and forth, back and <laughs> forth on the table, in both speaking Italian to one another. And finally, my grandmother took the dollar, which was a fair amount of money at that time, and gave it to me. Um, and I remember that from when I was like three years old. And really that's the first, when I think back, that's one of the first things I remember as a little girl, um, you know, was that kind of that interaction between my mom and my grandma. And it's funny so. because you did the exact same thing with 
your mom, Noni, that we called her. We called her Noni. And, <laughs> and then she would give it to us. I know. And say, well, fine. You, you, so that's, that exact thing happened. <laughs> Tradition. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess it handed down. That's, that's true. Funny. <laughs> um, so when you talk about Iron River, just so everyone is kind of aware, um, like, so I'm, I'm in, uh, in De Pere, Wisconsin, in the kind of the Green Bay metro area. And there is an area above north of Wisconsin called the Upper Peninsula, the UP of Michigan. And um, it's a, it's like a whole new world up there. It's, it's like a different <laughs> country <laughs> it is um nothing is like a nothing is like Ubers. it's just they're just a a different breed and um so the iron river is the the town that she's talking about is up in the u the up the upper peninsula of michigan um and so just kind of setting the stage for when we talk about that we're not talking about the trolls underneath <laughs> the, the the land bridge that That's is right. the up we are talking about the people in the actual up so um the let's talk about like what did you want to be when you were little oh. like did you always want to because you you were a teacher for years and years and years yeah what did you want to be when you were little well this might be rather shocking for anybody who really knows me but there was quite a period of time probably until I was about eight or nine years old where I was convinced that my lot in life was that I was going to be a nun Okay, let's see your reaction to that one. Well. <laughs> then something happened. No, um, I th- seriously, uh, when I was little, I really thought I was going to be a nun. I went to Catholic school, uh, first grade, kindergarten. I attended public school because the Catholic school didn't have kindergarten. And then first through seventh, I attended a Catholic school, St. Agnes School up in Iron River, Michigan. Um, and you know, those nuns were our role models. And there were a couple of them that probably would not want to model. But (laughs) (laughs) there were a couple that were very endearing. Um, And I could I thought at that point, I could see myself being a nun. So um, over time, (laughs) for anyone who knows me, that probably was not a good fit. Um, And so that changed. And it mostly changed when um, the Catholic school closed down when I, at the end of my seventh grade year. And then I had to attend school with all of the public school heathen children. Um, and it was a hell of a lot more God fun forbid. Oh. <laughs> than it was at the Catholic school. Um, and then, uh, you know, there were boys that attended the Catholic school, but our classes were super small and we hung with those same people from first grade through seventh grade. So it was more like brother sister relationships with them than it was friends. I mean, we knew each other so well, it was like a family. And then to be put in the spot of attending a public school where the class sizes were larger and lots of kids I didn't know. And a lot of, um, you know, boys I didn't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It just sort of changed my perspective, let's just say. And the nun idea went out the window. Yeah. Yep. Those public school kids took the (laughs) the nun right out of you. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, So you went to school um, at West Iron County High School, right? Correct. The Wycons. 
A Wicon, what, that's whatever right. Whatever the H a Wicon is. <laughs> um, <laughs> for all you Rhinelander folks out there, that's similar to a Hodag. I think it's pretty, <laughs> they're like cousins. Um, yep. <laughs> how many How many kids did you graduate with? Um, actually, when um, when I was in high school, the mines in Iron River were booming. And um, there's a lot of little towns that kind of are together, but Iron River was sort of one of the more main metropolises in the area. But there were Stamble, Caspian, Gastra, Mineral Hills, whatever. So I actually grew up in Mineral Hills. Um, but the population of that area was pretty significant. Um, I, I would say, you know, we were like, there was probably 10 to 12,000 people. Now that might not seem significant to you right now, but um, to put it in perspective, my graduating class was the largest graduating class out of West Iron County High School. And we had 300, I believe, and 49 students. Um, Which is big. It's pretty big. And um, the and an excellent, excellent schools and a real community ed focus, which I loved. Um, they took care of the community. I mean, things that the community needed that they, they couldn't provide, the school sort of took over, um, offered like college classes and nursing classes at night and um, all kinds of neat enrichment things for the community. But it was at one time the richest area. Uh, Mineral Hills was the richest village in the in the entire world. The the mining company was booming, so that was my graduating class. And then, when the mines began to close and people began to move away, um, that area just was became so economically depressed. And you either had to stay there and find some other means of supporting yourself or move on. And the majority of people moved on. And to be honest, I believe last year their graduating class may have been 30. So that's yeah. the difference. Um, it's, uh, it makes me sad to think of that because there's a lot of beauty in that area and a lot of promise and a lot of possibilities for, you know, outdoor kinds of things. But, um, but there really is no thriving economy there right now. So so that's the difference from when I went, you know, graduated from school versus what it's like now. Yeah. Well, um, so then you ended up going on to Northern Michigan University. And so we're going to bring dad into the picture, I think. Well, right. probably before Northern well, I was going to say well before that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, your dad and I um, started our very first year of college. We went to Central Michigan University. Oh, yeah, that's right. In Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Um, and then we ended up transferring up to Northern. And that's another story, which maybe when we start talking a little bit more, we'll get into that. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we did one year at Central and then ended up graduating from NMU. Nice. And then you started teaching. I did start teaching. Yeah, where'd you um, go? We, well, I guess we need to go back a little bit because um, uh, your dad and I were very young. You know that when we got married, I was 18 mm -hmm. and dad was 21. And um, scandalous. it was scandalous, um, <laughs> although it was more common then than it is now. But the fact <laughs> that he was 21 was a bit scandalous. Um, but he had started college and then stopped. Um, at that time, you know, there weren't student loans and things. It was kind of pay as you go or save up money and then go. And um, granted, it was a little less expensive than it is now to go to college, but it was still a struggle because you had no means other than what you could create for yourself to pay for it. So he had started and then sort of ran out of money and was undecided about what he wanted to do and so forth. And then 
we started dating um, and literally I graduated from high school like kind of June 2nd and we were married August 2nd. So really young. Um, but part of the agreement when he asked me to marry him was that um, it was important to me. I came from a family where um, it, it was just never questioned that we were going to go to college. We were going to college. Um, my two older brothers, you know, were going to college. I was going to college. So, and I wanted to go. Um, so I told dad that I would marry him, but that he had to go to college. He had to go back to school. And so we decided Central Michigan would probably be the best place for us to do that. Um, I was interested in, at the time, um, I went down there as a, a speech and language pathology major, and they had a really good program. And then dad was going to do um, drafting architecture. He had started in art at Northern, and then when he left school, he was undecided, and then he decided he was going to do this architecture um, program. And so that's what led us there. Um, but for anybody who knows that area, Central Michigan University, um, the, the town itself, Mount Pleasant, at the time, the, the town was super small, uh, three, 4,000 people, but the university was about 11,000 people. So being married, we had to figure it out on our own. And um, we had figured out school. I had gotten some scholarships and things, and we had figured out tuition and all of that, but we needed to survive. And so we were looking for jobs, and jobs were tough to come by because when school was in session, there were, you know, lots of people at the grocery store and Walmart and all those places. But then when school closed down for the summer, those jobs went away and we had to support ourselves. So that brought us back to Northern um, because we had family and contacts up there and we knew that we could find summer jobs and make it work financially for us. And, um, and then um, that sort of drove that transfer. So when we got up to Northern, um, dad worked part-time for a, construct or a cleaning company and I actually got a job for an accountant part-time doing payroll um, besides going to school full-time. So that made, that enabled us to finish school by moving back up there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And it, I realized when I moved back up to Northern that perhaps the speech language pathology thing was a master's program and mm, somewhat driven by finances, I decided maybe I needed to look at something that was four years versus a master's program. And so um, that's what sort of pushed me kind of toward education. And um, I really loved um, special education. I loved that working with those kids. And so I did that, but I knew that um, it was important for me to kind of be versatile because I didn't know where we would end up um, in terms of position because dad switched back into art when we went back up to um, art education, when we went back up to Marquette. And I knew his getting a job, because those were more scarce, would drive where I would find a job. And so I thought to make myself more versatile, I did dual certification in elementary and special ed. So um, finished that up at Northern. Yeah. So then you fast forward a few jobs. Um mm -hmm. You ended up, you were actually uh, teaching kindergarten at the school um, when I went to kindergarten. Yeah. We, um, just the neck, the room next door. That's right. I actually had a choice of having my own kids and being their teacher or having them be with someone else. 
and all of our boys, all of you guys were pretty um, attached to my leg. <laughs> and I felt like it was a better move to make that transition into independence and have you have someone other than mom, even though I was going to be next door um, to be your, your actual teacher. So, yeah. yeah. We actually started out, our first teaching job um, was out in Des Moines, Iowa, and I worked with students that were coming out of institutional care for um, mental illness and um, severe cognitive disabilities. Um, The state was closing down all the state hospitals um, and moving those students back into regular classrooms. And so special ed jobs were Crime. I mean, you could find, I could find a job. And um, so that was very much a challenge. Talk about baptism by fire. Um, I did that. Um, and then we had Justin, our oldest son, actually graduated from Northern, uh, very pregnant with Justin. <laughs> and so um, we decided after. Again, scandalous. Scandalous, <laughs> it was. <laughs> I was telling because he graduated from Northern, he graduated twice. Um, but we decided to um, try to get closer to family. Um, He was so darn cute and so much fun and we were kind of keeping them all to ourselves. And so we ended up getting jobs in Watoma, Wisconsin, where again, I taught um, emotionally, behaviorally um, disordered kids um, at kind of the uh, late elementary, middle school years. And dad was a art teacher and football coach and then decided that perhaps teaching was not for him. And so he had an opportunity in Green Bay um, that was outside of education. And then that brought us to Green Bay and it brought me to my job in Pulaski, which is where Evan went to school along with his brothers. So, yeah. Yep. So we talked about a lot about like kind of like the background now. So now I'm going to dig into some things that maybe we didn't get to. <laughs> like, Uh-oh. for example, What's the most trouble you've ever gotten in? Hmm. The most trouble I've ever gotten in. Let's just, let's keep in mind, you wanted to be a nun growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Things change. (laughs) Um, Probably the most trouble I ever got in, but it ended up not being so much trouble was. um... This is a first for on your way out. Um, I actually have to edit this for content. My mom told an awesome story, uh, but we got some younger listeners that um, impressionable young folks. Yeah, we don't want to be corrupting them too badly, but if you get a chance to talk to my mom, it's a great story. Um, So yeah, with that, we're going to edit this little section out and we're going to continue on with the rest of the interview. Enjoy. To my knowledge. You remember how I talked about the UP being a different country altogether. <laughs> that is prime example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we kind of took care of one another, I'll tell you. <laughs> Crazy. All right. Um, so tell me about your wedding. Oh, boy. If you've seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, <laughs> um, this was my big fat Italian wedding. Um <laughs> I was somewhat of a tomboy growing up, Um, not, and Evan knows that I'm still not a real girly girl. Um, And so when we decided to get married, um, 
we're kind of kind of a free spirit. Your dad's kind of a free spirit spirit, and we decided, oh, maybe we'll get out get married outside. Well, that idea got mixed because they had to get married in church. Um, maybe we'll just do like a big picnic. Well, no, that idea kind of got mixed too. And at 18, when you have no money and your parents are going to pay for it, you just go with the flow. So (laughs) we did. (laughs) And I had, um, uh, six bridesmaids and, you know, at the time in 1975, a rainbow wedding was the thing. (laughs) So all of my bridesmaids wore different color pastel dresses um, and also that little bit of a rebel spirit was my mom said, if I were getting married in church, I must wear a veil. And I just wanted to wear flowers in my hair. And so we had words about that and we finally compromised at a hat. And so I had this big picture hat, um, with a veil and then I only wanted a short veil. And then when I went to try on my dress, my mom had asked them to put on a long veil, um, but at that point, it was like, whatever, we're just going to do this and it'll be fine. Uh, so um, so we, we felt like like a lot of our wedding, if I were to get married tomorrow, um, I would do lots of things differently. But it turned out fun. It was fine. And um, my mom, excellent, excellent Italian cook, um, we rented the Elks Lodge in Iron River because that was the biggest place. We had 700 and some people at our wedding. Uh, I have a huge, Evan knows we have a huge Italian family. And so I cringe. It was, it was huge, huge. Um, Dad always says there were people that I met there that night that I've never met again in my life. And that was probably (laughs) true. Um, But it was huge. But my mom did all of the, cooking for the most part ahead of time. She made gallons and gallons of homemade spaghetti sauce and hundreds of meatballs and all of that. And then the catering people basically made a few side dishes and they cooked the pasta. My mom made all homemade pasta for 700 people. (laughs) Um, And so they just basically put the meal together. And then we had Ernie Mazzoni and his uh, polka band from Iron oh, Mountain, yeah. oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from Iron Mountain, Michigan, came and played uh, for our dance. Um, and it turned out being fun, except it was about 90 degrees and nothing up there had air conditioning. So we had 700 people in the Elks Lodge with no air and a polka band. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a party. That's... It was a party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so kind of linked to that then, you again, your background does not necessarily lead you to believe that dad, who let me let me kind of paint a picture of the, the pictures that I've seen of my father, <laughs> um, Fu Manchu mustache, the long hair, mm-hmm. motorcycle. I guess, I mean, maybe it kind of lines up with the whole, you know, want to be a nun and <laughs> getting corrupted by public school thing. Um, <laughs> so why dad? Why dad? Well, dad and I rode the bus to school together um, for years. Like I lived out in Mineral Hills, which was this location, and he lived on a farm, which was even further out. So the bus would 
whoever got picked up first in the morning got dropped off last at night and vice versa. So he was on the bus along with his five siblings um, with me, but I never knew him. Um, We never knew each other. And I just knew that every morning when we would stop there to pick up the Marlowe family, they were always late. And then the dog always barked after the bus um, and chased the bus down the road. But he was a public school kid, so we didn't know each other at all in grade school. Um, And even in high school, um, your dad is much different, Evan. He's still very much an introvert, so definitely opposites attract. But but he was even more quiet in high school. Um, He just sort of did his art thing, and he played football, and he had a few friends and whatever. But he, um, he was very quiet. And we didn't travel in the same pack at all in high school. I didn't know him. Um, but in college, um, and again, I, I have this huge Italian family where my cousins are kind of like brothers and sisters to me. One of my cousins was going to school, um, my cousin Don Jim, up at Northern Michigan University, and dad roomed with him his first couple of years. So the hang was this Riverside Pizzeria downtown in Iron River, and that's where everybody would go all the time on weekends. So Don Jim happened to be home from college, and um, uh, Dad was with him, and uh, Don Jim was asking me to go to um, a beer party <laughs> with a bunch of kids. You know. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, and so I said, well, because of the driving thing that had happened, I'm like, I've sort of changed my ways here and I'm not going to go to a party like that if I have to drive. Cause I think that scared me, you know, the incident with the chief of police. Mm-hmm. So I, I did learn something from that. So <laughs> your dad was sitting there and again, I didn't know him, but he sort of jumped in and said, I'll pick you up. Um, and then um, he did. And my parents were really firm about like, if a boy was picking you up, they had to come in and meet them. And so I was really afraid he wouldn't come in, but he was pretty polite. So he came to the door and got me and it wasn't really a date. It was more just a ride to this party. Um, But we ended up hanging out together that whole night. And in all honesty, I don't know that we were apart after that, like, we just hit it off and, um, and he was, he did sort of have that bad boy thing going on, kind of the James Dean (laughs) sort of vibe. Um, and so it was not typical of who you would expect me to be dating. I mean, I was president of student council and this little honor student in high school and, um, you know, and then to be dating somebody older, um, but I don't know. We just hit it off that day and um, and it worked. And we have been together ever since. This summer we'll be married 45 years. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And he, <clears throat> Dad and I are definite opposites. He's more quiet and more reserved. Um, he's often my filter. Um, I run my thoughts through him before I run them out of my mouth sometimes because I don't want to <laughs> get in trouble. Um, but he... Um, he's just like a really, he's a really good person, like probably the most honest person that I ever knew. 
outside of maybe my dad. That's and I think that's part of it is he reminds me a lot of my own dad who I was really close to. Um, but he um, lets me be me. Um, I have a, a thing for wanting to keep going back to school and I still enjoy working and all of that. And he supports me in that. So um, it just kind of works. And, and we've been together ever since. So, yeah. Well, and you have, so I have three siblings. I have one older brother, Justin, like she talked about, and I have two younger siblings, uh, Graham, who was just underneath me, and then Noah, who was the youngest. Um, and then you also did, you were teaching kindergarten, so you taught special ed, you taught kindergarten for a while, and actually third grade, right? Yeah, I, um, I taught special ed in two different school districts for, before Pulaski, and then special ed in Pulaski, yeah. <clears throat> and then... Um, Sunnyside School opened, and I um, had an opportunity to teach a 3-4 split, and then I did third grade. And then when we were expecting Noah, um, I kept thinking that four kids and full-time work is a little suicidal. And so <laughs> I had an opportunity to do um, kindergarten halftime. So I did um, all day, every other day, kindergarten at the time. And that was mm-hmm. great. That was great for our family and did that for actually until the way the kid, way kids are spaced, Justin was heading off to college and Noah was going to be beginning first grade. And then I knew that I monetarily, I needed to go back full time. So then I did full-time kindergarten for a long time. And then I did, um, gifted and talented, mm-hmm. um, for the district as a resource teacher. And then I was the district coordinator for gifted and talented and then um at the end of my career in Pulaski I was a learning support specialist so um I was working a lot with interventions with kids and then um also doing a lot of professional development for our staff so yep. uh, so and yeah. you, re- you just recently retired well I shouldn't say recently kind of recently retired um, but I put retired in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> still, <laughs> still doing some student teaching observations and things like that. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just kind of now that you've gone through all this and all, all four of us boys have grown up and have done other things now. And um, do you, if you go back and looking back at raising us, what would you do differently? If anything, would you do anything differently? Hmm. I probably should have beat you more. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, um, well, well, I think that we need to talk about that. <laughs> so when my brothers and I would wrestle in the basement and oh. we would watch wrestling on, on, on like mute, cause we weren't allowed to watch wrestling. And this was when wrestling, because it promoted wrestling matches in the house. Well, well you shouldn't have had four boys then. <laughs> <laughs> and so we would wrestle in the basement and then someone would get hurt. And then the idea was you had to keep them quiet because if someone got hurt, mom would hear us and inevitably would take out the wooden spoon. <laughs> and that's when this is all a lie. No, by the way. no, 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 no. <laughs> And that's when you knew, okay, things are got serious. You have about 10 to 15 seconds to get a couple good shots in before mom comes down <laughs> with the wooden spoon. And yeah, it was that's so that's the type of thing we're talking about here. That's let's, true. let's be straight here. <laughs> yeah. I would usually say if you want to wrestle, go outside. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. And you need to know that too when I thought about being a mom um I thought about I always thought I would be a mom to girls you know I just and I, and I I worried about it because I was not a girly girl and I thought I would scar them for life um just because that was not 
me, you know, not frilly dresses, not, not any of that stuff. Um, so I think, uh, God knew something I didn't and gave me these four boys, but, um, in terms of doing things differently, um, I don't know, you know, we did the best that we could as a parent, you wish they came with a owner's manual, but kids don't. So you make some judgment calls along the way. And when I think back, um, you know, when you're older and you think back at your life, you think, oh, maybe one of the things we could have done is, you know, I could have done better or differently or whatever it was um, to just maybe not be so concerned about stuff in the house. But then I look at it from the practical point of view. And I was the organizer and the planner and the scheduler and the cook and the one who kept every, you know, the laundry done and whatever. And dad was a great partner, but I had to get those things done to keep working with four boys. So if I could regain some of that time, that might be the only thing that I would do differently. But I, I look at all of you and we're pretty proud that you turned out <laughs> as well as you did and, and that you're, you know, that you're doing things in life that are good things. And um, so that's, it, it's kind of a gratifying source of pride for us, but I'm sure yeah. there are things we could have done better or differently, but you know, you do what you, you do your best, I guess. So I think I'm, I'm going to ask you one last question before we move on to the lightning round And that. So my question is, is, I'm a, I'm a dad now, um, and Emmett just turned five. And do you think it's harder or I should say easier or harder raising a family now compared to when we were growing up as kids? Hmm. I don't know. You know, there's pros and cons or there's, there's different factors that enter in. Um, sometimes I think it's a little harder now because there's so many things that you need to be wary of and that you need to worry about with your kids that, that we didn't have to worry about as much, um, like internet, you know, and just even being out in public, I think you guys growing up had a lot more freedom to go out in the backyard and <laughs> our backyards all connected with our neighbors and you played in a pack and we knew you were out there, but there were other good parents, good neighbors looking out for the whole pack, you know, and I think now that part is more challenging because you have to be so watchful. Um, I think there's just, there's more things to be wary of in the world. Um, that part I think is more of a challenge. You know, when I think about like money wise, um, and I think about raising four kids, sometimes I wonder how we did that, but um, we really, you know, we really worked hard in that respect. Like we, you remember Evan, like our big treat was getting pizza from Luigi's or whatever. We didn't go out to eat a whole lot mm -hmm. and the vacations we took were simpler and the things that we did, you know, for fun as a family were more simple things. I think now there's a lot of demands on families to have stuff and do stuff. Um, and sometimes you've got to take a step back from that, you know, and look at what's really important. And, and I think that's more of a challenge for younger, you know, for younger families now, maybe than it was. I mean, we couldn't do those things. So those were off the table. So we made our own fun and we, you know, and we, we did the best that we could to give you guys as many opportunities as we could. But I think that's a pressure that we didn't maybe feel. Um, yeah. 
And I think work follows you home now. Like when I left yeah. school, I would have a school bag full of papers to correct and things, but I would get you guys to bed and I could do that while I watched TV and I'd get your dad helping me cut stuff out for kindergarten and, you know, but we would talk and that's how we ended our evening. But now with um, cell phones and email and Instagram and Facebook and whatever, you're constantly bombarded with that stimuli and it's hard to turn off work and focus on on family. Mm-hmm. So um, in that respect, I think it's a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's shift gears. This is the part, the interview part that I kind of, I don't, I've not told you any of these questions ahead of time. Nope. You, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, a couple of them cause they get asked all the time, but there's a, there's a bunch in here that I've never asked before. So okay. are you ready for the lightning round, mom? I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. Let it rip. Describe yourself as a teenager in three words. Oh boy. Keep in mind what you just told us in this interview. (laughs) Challenging. (laughs) Um, Resourceful. (laughs) And boy, um, unafraid, I guess. Not a nun. Not a nut. <laughs> Those do not describe Sister Mary Ellen. No. <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, negativity. Like people who look at things and always see their glass half full. Okay. If your house was on fire, what two things would you run back in for? Hmm. You know, I'm kind of a sentimental sap, so it would uh-huh. have to be, <laughs> it would have to be pictures and um, maybe stuff from when you guys were babies. Not the rainbow plate? Well, that's like from when you were a baby. So yes, that so, would, that would be included in there. <laughs> I made, I made her a rainbow plate for Mother's Day and yeah. It's, it's still there. It's still there. And whenever and it, and it, when they every, yeah. <laughs> and it and it is a it's a rainbow and then there's a person, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it might be an alien. Um <laughs> but it's really cute. It and it's dated four days. See, this is me, the sentimental sap. It's the date is on there and it's four days before Noah was born. So um Yeah. Yeah. Um let's see, your favorite book. Mm. I like the places you'll go. Typical. Mm-hmm. See? <laughs> what is the best gift you ever received? Oh, the best gift. The rainbow plate. <laughs> <laughs> That's up there. <laughs> um, boy, that's a hard one. Probably one of the best things is um, when your dad and I were were dating and we decided to get married, we had zero money. And so my engagement ring was ordered from the Unity catalog. Um, and it was a little skinny band, a uh, white gold band with a little mark, tiny marquee diamond. And I had it I mean, for the first 
I mean, that was a great gift, and but I had it for the first um, 20 years that we were married and never, you know, hardly took it off. And it was getting so that that little fine band was literally starting to irritate my finger because it was sharp. That's how skinny it was. And so um, dad took it because um, I stopped wearing it and that your dad took it and didn't tell me and went to a jewelry store in Green Bay and had that little diamond reset in a wider band and surprised me with that. And you know, your dad is not one for big surprises <laughs> or, you know, not super romantic in that way. Like you find, you know, but that was, that was really a cool gift. Cause I told him, I kept threatening that if the band were all the way through that, the, that the, uh, partnership was over <laughs> so I think he did it out of fear more yeah. than you know being a romantic <laughs> <laughs> nice in a movie about your life who would play you oh boy I, that is a hard one who would play me I don't know I honestly don't know, Evan. I don't know if I can answer that one. <laughs> I don't know. I see you as maybe um, a Meryl Streep. Maybe. I can see that. Yeah. There's a little Jane Fonda-ish in there. Jane Fonda. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. see. Um, where is the worst place you could possibly get stuck? Oh, in a snake pit. I knew exactly what you were going to say. I knew that, that was going to be the answer. In a hole with snakes. <laughs> That's my biggest. She has a terrible fear of snakes. My father has to go and spread. They have several different snake repellent things for their backyard, but he buys, the, you have the powder, right? Sweeney's snake powder. Sweeney's <laughs> snake powder. It came today from Amazon. <laughs> You've I... heard of snake oil. Well, no, it's snake powder. Um, yeah, and they have all kinds of other things. And it's, then there's the buzzy great. things that, yeah. yeah that, really... that, well, they work all right, I bet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I cannot get past it. Like, I, I know I need therapy for that, but I can't. <laughs> I really can't get past it. And since I was a little girl, that's been my biggest, biggest fear. Um, but it's not getting better with age. I swear it's getting worse. Like I, I go out and I have to pound on the ground around my flower beds, um, stomp and <laughs> poke at them before I will weed because I'm afraid one's going to come out. <laughs> and if you, and Evan can tell you, we live near the woods. So, you know, on mm -hmm. average, we're seeing about three snakes in a summer, which then keeps me in the house for about a week after I see one and then I ease back out into it and then damn it another one shows up so yep if you could be famous for something what would you want it to be oh I think I would be famous for coming up with some kind of device or program or something that would level the playing field for kids as learners so that kids didn't have to struggle and that they could just love to learn because it was easy and um, and not a challenge like it is for some kids. Mm -hmm. I love learning so I, I'd want to be able to invent something so that there was nothing to impede kids from 
from learning more about everything. Yeah. Okay. This is one I ask every guest. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Well, I think I'd go for the big one. The big one? Yeah. And I, I, because... I'm a little ADHD, as you know, Evan. So <laughs> if there were all those little ducks or whatever, I mean, if they were all horses, coming, little horses, horses, yeah, coming at me, I wouldn't be able to focus on, you know, fighting just one. I would lose for sure because <laughs> my focus would be overrun would be gone. by the duck-sized horses. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, the uh, the audience isn't going to find this very funny, but I'm going to find this hilarious. What does the coupon say? <laughs> it says free Sunday, damn it. <laughs> Those of you who know us, you're going to pee your pants there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, do you drink the cereal milk? Oh, yeah. Yep. The best. I think that's where I learned it. Yep. Yeah. That's... <laughs> the best cereal milk is like from Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's a, that's a fan favorite. Yeah. Or... Um, Maybe even mini wheats, but um, I have a just a superior sweet tooth, and so that makes the milk sweet. I'm all in. Anything that's that sweet is a weakness. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. All right, the lightning round's over. So I'm gonna give mom a chance to take a quick second, get a breather, take a drink of water. And I'm going to introduce this next part. So this is the part of the episode that everybody listens for. It is the ep- the, the whole reason why we have this podcast. I, I allow the guests to come in and have the open forum to give words of wisdom um, as if they were on their way out. Uh, if you were only given a few hours to live, what advice would you want to leave for the world? Uh, what would you want people to know? What would you, anything that you would really, knowledge you would want to leave behind? Um, for everyone to find. With that, I'm going to turn it back over to you, Mom. The floor is yours. Well, this was pretty timely for lots of reasons. One, because of this awful virus. Um, I lost a cousin to this virus a few weeks ago, and so that makes you sort of start to begin to think about your mortality. Um, And then um, Grandma died on Tuesday. So you know, it it starts you thinking about um, what's important or, you know, what advice or what things do you want to leave behind when you leave this world? You know, what, what kinds of, um, I don't know, what should your kind of memory be? So Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of timely to kind of give this a little bit of thought. And I didn't write a speech and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna speak from the cuff, but Um, from the time that I have, I guess from the time that I started in being a mom, um, number one, um, that was our biggest blessing. We had, uh, our son, Justin, and then we did a lot of infertility treatment in between. And then we had three boys in five years. Evan was the first of that, that group of three, but our family didn't come easily. So for me, um, that wish to be a mom and wish to have a, a, a big family nowadays was really, really important. 
Um, and I am kind of a sentimental sap. So, you know, my experiences as a mom kind of form my experiences as a teacher. I always looked at those students through the eyes of a parent. Like if this child were mine, how would I want the teacher to approach this conversation with me? Or how would I want this child to be treated if they were struggling and they were mine or whatever? So um, for me, there was always a phrase, and I, I still have it um, as part of my email signature. And it's at the end of the day, people will forget what you said. People forget what you what you did, but people never forget how you made them feel. And by Maya Angelou and and I think about that all the time because um, in your life, I guess my advice would be one of the things is um, life is all about kind of making memories, um, making memorable moments, not just for you. Um, like we love to go on a vacation and go on a trip and we haven't done a ton of that as a couple. We've started over the last several years to take a few more trips, but just even the little kinds of things that we did when our kids were growing up. So, you know, making those memories for you, um, for your spouse, for your significant other, for your children, whatever, I think that's so important. Um, when you sit back and you think about, you know, someday I'll probably be sitting in a nursing home and what am I going to have? The stuff doesn't make any difference. The you know, the things don't make any difference. But as I sit there, I want to be able to think fondly about things I did with my husband, with my family, with my grandkids, with, you know, with my students, as I've taught. Um, so making those memories and, and not necessarily looking a little bit outside yourself, you know, like looking for opportunities to make memories for you, but looking for ways to make memories for other people. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I'm on Facebook and, and I just got, I got a Facebook request. I get it often from students that I had, honestly, I taught 43 years. So some from 40 years ago will spot me on there. And I think they just want to see if I'm still alive. Um, but they'll send me a Facebook request and, and I'll accept. And I just, it was one of my students that I had my first years of teaching in Pulaski's birthday this week and I wished her a happy birthday and her response came back something about you know I'll never forget you as a teacher because we did so many fun things do you remember the Michael Jackson lip-syncing contest you know so for her <laughs> that was a memory that was something I did to make it fun for kids you know in my class so Make memories, make memories for yourself and make memories for other people. Um, Evan asked me what my pet peeve was and my pet peeve is negativity. I, I guess I really, really try and it's not always easy, but I've kind of made it my goal and even more so as I've gotten older to try to, you know, look for the positive, look for the good. Um, I watch the news right now with this virus and it's heartbreaking to see all of the bad, but in that bad, I'm also seeing just tons of good people volunteering and making masks and people donating to food banks and people doing door drops to people who can't get out and do things themselves. So out of bad is coming good, you know, out of something really awful is coming something positive. Um, you know, even even now with 
and we've talked about this, Evan, you know, like this time with this virus and being so held up at home and how challenging that is having a five-year-old little boy who wants to be with his friends and his grandmas and his grandpas and he wants to go to school and all of that. But I think about that and I think what precious time this is for you to spend as a family that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So again, out of something bad comes something very good. Um, and I think about you growing up and for those of you who don't know, at age eight, Evan was diagnosed with a really rare form of cancer in his neck. And yeah, he was our consummate little athlete. He was, you know, you would say built like a brick shit house, <laughs> just <laughs> tough and, you know, just, just stocky. And everyone who looked at him would say, Oh, he's gotta be a football player. He's gotta be, you know, a hockey player or a rugby player or whatever. And that he loved all of that. And then at age eight, it was all taken away because it damaged his cervical spine. And that was tough. It was so tough for him to accept that and hard for us for parents to get him to see that there were other things. But again, out of something so awful, number one, he's here and he's well and he's a dad and he does a great job, you know, with his work and um, he's just a really good person. So, you know, out of that came that good. But the other piece was the music, you know, that when he couldn't do all those physical things, um, it, it made him turn to music. So again, out of something bad comes something very good. So that's always kind of my advice is you got to kind of look beyond the, the bad because this too shall pass, you know, life when you've lived 63 years, you realize it's kind of like a pendulum. And right now the pendulum is swung way the heck to one side. And it's a side that I don't really like right now the way things are in the world, but I have faith that, it's going to swing back to center and that good will, you know, overcome evil in many ways, whether it's this virus or just the, you know, tense political environment right now, all those things, things will come back to center. And I believe that there's more good than bad in people. And then the last thing I, I guess is, um, you know, I, so much, I, I believe that, that kids are such a, a gift and that young people in general, um, there's just the most important gift that we have. And, you know, as a teacher, and you know, this too, Evan, they think you're teaching them things, but I had learned so many great things from my students. Mm -hmm. I learned humility. I learned compassion. I learned so many, so many great things. Um, you know, so much can be learned from them. And I think they see the world through those fresh, unadulterated eyes. And, and, you know, I think we need to trust kids, that kids have a lot of things, a lot of gifts to give back to the world that we don't even realize. I'll give you an example. Like when I was doing the gifted and talented job, um, we would meet in the summer as local coordinators. And we planned with St. Norbert College an event called the International Education Experience and what we did was we'd go back to our school districts and we would select, because it was a gifted and talented program, some really high flyers from the social studies department at, at area high schools. And we would bring them all together then like in October and we would do some sort of simulation. And we worked with the people at the university and in international education and we would come up with some really fun ideas. 
And then the students would role play that they were from different places in the world or different states in the United States or whatever, and we'd present them with a problem. And I'll never forget the year that 9-11 happened because we had met all summer. And for some reason, we decided to make the simulation be about a terrorist attack and that it was an attack um, that happened during a United Nations meeting. And so the students from all of these high schools were going to take on the roles of, um, you know, different leaders from different countries. And then when 9-11 happened, we took a step back and we said, should we do this? Are we going to, you know, is it going to scare kids? Is it going to make them anxious, whatever? Mm -hmm. And we decided to move forward with it. And that day, I remember sitting, they would work in groups and come up with different, you know, solutions to world problems. And I remember sitting back thinking, why in the hell don't we have young people running the world? Because they had it fixed by the end of the day. You know, they had the (laughs) terrorist problem was all resolved. You know, they just, they didn't go into those discussions with preconceived notions and things. And they, they figured it out, you know, and I, I just think, there's so much potential, you know, with kids. And I think sometimes their perspective is the best perspective. Um, yeah. And so my other like quote thing that I love is, you know, when you look at little people and what their influence on the world could be is the Dalai Lama says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito in the room. So I think we need to listen to those little mosquitoes and be sensitive to them and give them all the opportunities that we can. And that's like the greatest gift that you can leave this worth, you know, this world in this world is to give to kids so that they can carry on and and make it the best place that it can be. So, um, so that's my advice. Those are things that are important to me. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it all, makes sense especially from for those of you that know you uh th- those those listeners out there that know you this all makes sense <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's great excellent thank you for sharing all that stuff that's great sure um so i think that's about gonna wrap it up um i just wanted to say thanks for coming on and uh happy mother's day <laughs> you've been an awesome mom and uh you're a great person it's i when i had this idea to do this and i was like oh this this could be pretty cool and i th- I, th- I think it turned out pretty good so thank you so much for coming on and we love Welcome. you very I'm much I, I still questioned evan are you sure you really want to do this <laughs> but no it's been fun um we we're lucky you know i remember us sitting at dad and I at our 40th wedding anniversary party and somebody said what's the what's your key one of your kids asked for you know success of having a marriage last this long and dad and I just looked at each other and said we're really lucky so I feel really lucky to have you and to have your brothers and our grandkids and just you know our life right now it's we don't have tons and tons of material things but we have plenty and um, more important than that are the the people part of it. So, um, so yeah, we're really blessed, and thanks for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And my mother is a remarkable woman. And it was really cool to have her on and to have this conversation and get to ask some pretty unique questions that you don't always get to ask your parents. And so I love you, Mom. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, This was really great. And happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there, the past mothers, future mothers, stepmothers, grandmothers, (laughs) step-grandmothers, any mothers out there. um, Enjoy your day. Take care of yourselves and uh, do what you can to get out there and enjoy it. I want to invite everybody to follow uh, On Your Way Out on social media. If you head to Instagram and Facebook at On Your Way Out Pod, um, you'll be able to find us on social media. Give us a like, give us a follow. And most importantly, if you like the podcast, wherever you're listening, give it a review um, and give it some give it some love so that way we can get to more listeners. The more listeners, the better. So thank you so much for stopping by and take care of yourselves, everyone. Until next time. See you later. Okay.